please bow with me for a word of prayer. Our Lord and our God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray. Thank God. Amen. Well, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to First Baptist Church of Bolingbrook. I am excited to be in the Lord's house today. Uh, I don't count it. Um, uh, I don't count myself worthy of this opportunity um, in the least bit, but I am thankful to be in God's house on this Lord's day. The pandemic has kind of shut down a lot of churches, so it's good to be preaching and worshiping in front of people. I also want to quickly extend my gratitude to your pastor, um, a brother beloved. He's my brother spiritually and fraternally. I do appreciate him. Pastor Vaughn, thank you so much for extending this opportunity to me. And thank you to all of the Lord's people who aren't afraid of a little water. Amen. Please take your copy of God's word and meet me in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It's a very familiar passage, uh, which means I hope you all will give me a few amens just off recollection of the passage. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scripture, and therein the reading is this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sand which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, I want to read both of those verses again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today I want to preach from this simple thought, run your race. Run your race. John Stephen Aquary was a Tanzanian distance runner in the 60s and 70s. He represented Tanzania in the 26-mile marathon race at the 68 Olympics in Mexico City. At approximately 11 miles into his race, Shoving between the runners unfortunately caused John to fall badly, bruising his leg and even dislocating his knee. The medical staff encouraged John to withdraw from the race, but despite the opinions of the doctors and the pains that he felt in his own body, John refused to be sidelined and continued to run. More than an hour after the other runners had completed the race, John hobbled across that finish line. 
when news reporters interviewed John and asked why he continued to run despite the pain, why he continued to run when there was no medal for him to receive, why he continued to run when there was no spectators present to cheer him on. John replied, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start a race. They sent me to Mexico City to finish one. Friends, John's mindset ought to be adopted by all believers as we run the race of faith. If you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is indeed a race set before us all. And like John, we must resolve that no hurdle or hardship experienced along the race will hinder you from finishing the race. Writing to socially, politically, and spiritually troubled Christians, the anonymous author of the book of Hebrews has put pen to parchment to spur spiritual endurance amongst the saints. On account of their conversion from Judaism to Christianity, they were experiencing persecution, get it now, from their government, persecution from their friends, and even from their families. Some were criticized, rejected, jailed, and tortured because of their allegiance and obedience to Jesus. Here they are fatigued in their faithfulness. They are struggling in their Christian service and they are discouraged in their discipleship. Many were beginning to contemplate walking away from what God had called them to. Though unfortunate, these circumstances that they faced were foretold. Jesus warned his disciples that the world would reject anyone who accepted him. But even with the warning, it was hard for them then and it's hard for us now to live through what we go through all because we decided to follow Jesus. But maintaining fidelity to the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, it will cost you some things and it will cost you some people. That's because we live by a heavenly moral and ethical framework. It's, it's our faith that cost us business opportunities. It costs us some connections and even some endorsements. And if we are honest, it all makes us wonder if comfort, success, and social relief is worth compromising or abandoning Christian convictions. Yet in light of the supremacy of Christ and the benefits bequeathed through belief, Hebrews calls Christians to hold on and to run on. This text that we are studying today is tailored to teach us that Jesus is our ultimate example in the race of faith. If you don't get nothing else from this sermon, take that home with you. Jesus is our ultimate example in the race of faith. The question we ask and answer today is simply this. What instructions should you follow as you run your race of faith? 
Well, careful observation reveals three instructions here in this text that will help all of us run our race of faith. If you're taking notes, the first instruction you must follow is tune in to the testimonies of others. Again, the first instruction is tune in to the testimonies of others. We gain motivation in the present by observing the performance of those in the past. The scripture begins, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. When you see the word therefore, you need to examine what it's there for. This therefore points back to chapter 11, where the writer shares the hall of fame of faith. This is a catalog of Old Testament figures who lived with faithful dependence on God's providence and in faithful anticipation of God's promises. The author uses the lives of these exemplary saints of old as trustworthy testimony of the value of holding on to your faith and your calling, even when life prompts you to put it down. But notice the language. We are continually encircled by these witnesses as they are infinite in number. They fill the landscapes of the heavens. The author is suggesting that at every moment and in every situation, the runner in the race of faith can receive encouragement from another story. Can you see it? Put on your biblical glasses. Can you see it? The long line of individuals who can be called to the witness stand. Bring Noah to the stand, brother. He can testify of a faith that builds an ark when rain had never fallen. Bring Abraham and Sarah to the witness stand. They testify of a faith that trusts God to produce even when the tools are old and worn out. Bring any biblical figure to the witness stand that you want. They all testify that the only reason we talk about them now is because they didn't give up then. Life has a strange way of making you consider giving up honorable pursuits, giving up your business, giving up on that marriage, giving up on your godly pursuits and callings. It is in that moment that you need encouragement, but you don't need it from a novice. You need it from somebody who's been there, got the t-shirt and got the wristband too. So whenever you feel like walking away from the journey that God has called you to, get encouragement to finish your race by referencing the testimony of God's witnesses. Friends, they are found in God's word. Hear me, if you have family issues, reference Joseph, whose brother's evil plan, whose, whose brother's evil plans did not stop him from being faithful until God produced his good promises. If you're in a heated situation, Reference the three Hebrew boys who were thrown into a fiery furnace, but by faith they walked out of that furnace without a burn nor stench. If you have regrets about your past, 
reference Rahab, who sold herself for money, but by faith wound up becoming a matriarch in the lineage of Jesus. And if you're living through economic devastation, in the forecast that's gloomy, reference Habakkuk, whose determination to give God his best praise was not swayed by bad times. There's witnesses in God's word. But if you're looking and listening closely, there's also witnesses in the world. There is somebody who can testify in this room today that you almost stopped running for God. But you decided not to give up what you have because you found out that what you have is better than what you had. As long as you have Jesus, you had enough to keep on running again. The psalmist wrote it this way. I almost let go. I felt like I couldn't take life anymore. My problems had me bound. Depression weighed me down. But God, he held me close so that I would not let go. Friends, the unsatisfied stories of the saints reminds us that if we stick with God, God will stick with us. The encouragement you need is the testimonies of others. That's the first instruction. Tune in to the testimonies of others. But the second instruction is lighten your load. Say that with me. Say lighten your load. After providing encouragement from the past, the writer now shares exhortation for the present. Read it. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a twofold exhortation. Be disciplined and be determined. First, be disciplined. The writer says, let us lay aside. I, I love this language. Let us. This is everybody. It's for the preacher in the pulpit and the parishioners in the pews. Let us all lay aside. This is to take away something from its normal location and put it out of the way. But the grammar speaks of an effective once for all action. This is a decisive act. The author is saying, don't put it down to pick it back up. Take it off and leave it off. Why? Because you cannot win when you are weighted. It has been documented that the runner in antiquity would run almost completely naked to ensure that nothing would slow them down in like fashion. Believers are to lay aside anything that slows our spiritual progress. Here the writer communicates two things, weights and sin. Weights are acts that are not sin, but produces the same effect. That is hindering our relationship with God. The old adage is true. Too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. Weights are good things that keep us from doing God things. Striving to advance your career, deepen your relationships, 
and accumulate education and more wealth are good. But if these things keep you from giving God your best, they need to go. Lay aside weights, but then also lay aside sin too. Sin clings, entangles, and besets. Sin will keep you from moving forward. Lest we be judgmental, though. Paul says all have sinned. We sinned before we got saved, and if we will be honest, we've sinned since we've been saved. We struggle with secret and public sin. We are all saints with sinner problems. And I know people don't like to talk about sin in the church, but church people sin too. We are all saints with sinner problems, and the writer urges us to terminate our sin before it terminates us. Be disciplined by severing the non-essential and the unspiritual, but also be determined. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. This is a charge not to give up, even though the race is grueling and agonizing. The believers being addressed in this letter started the race, dedicated, but now they want to quit because it's become difficult. And there it is, friends. It's easy to run for the Lord when life is easy, but it's hard to run for Jesus when life gets hard. And I know that this is not popular teaching and preaching across some American pulpits, but suffering is not written in the fine prints of the Christian contract. It's written in bold, big, red letters because Jesus warned us that we would suffer. Augustine said it best. He said, God had one son on earth without sin, but he'll have no sons without suffering. Mark it down, friends. Nobody's race is hurdle free. The hurdles of life will challenge you and knock the wind out of you. But if you remain determined in spite of the difficulty, God will give you strength to get over and to get through. God will give you the endurance you need to finish what you started. You must, friends, be disciplined and determined in order to run well. So you got to lighten your load. In 1845, the ill-fated Franklin expedition sailed from England to find passage in the Arctic Ocean. The crew loaded their two ships with things they didn't need. A 1,200-volume library, fine china, and sterling silverware. Along the way, the ships got trapped in a vast frozen plain of ice. The men decided that they would trek to safety in small groups, but none of these men survived. One story is especially heartbreaking. Two of the crew members pulled a bulky sled for 65 miles across the ice. 
when researchers found their bodies, they discovered that the sled was filled with table silverware. These men contributed to their own demise by carrying what they didn't need. And sadly, this is the story for some of us today. We are contributing to the demise of our journey of faith by carrying things and people we do not need. Friends, regardless of what the relationship, passion, project, or activity provides for you, if it does not push you to cross faith's finish line, you need to let it go. Make a commitment to God and yourself today to fight against any spiritual entanglement that will keep you from full participation. That's the exhortation that you need, friends. Lighten your load. Tune in to the testimony of others. Lighten your load. But finally, stare at the Savior. That's the final instruction that we receive from this text. In 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. Within months, a man named John Landy eclipsed his record by 1.4 seconds. On August 1954, the two met for a historic race. As they moved into the last lap, Landy held the lead. It looked as if he would win, but as he neared the finish line, something started haunting him in his mind. He began to question, where is Bannister? So Landy turned to look back, and as he looked back, Bannister took the lead. Later, when Time Magazine interviewed Landy, Landy said, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won. This story teaches us when you look at the wrong thing, you get the wrong results. As great as the figures in chapter 11 are, the writer of Hebrews is careful to tell us they are only motivation, not the model. The writer says, look away from all else and focus exclusively on Jesus. Richard Phillips says that this phrase is all-purpose Christian advice. It's a theology and practical application in three words. Look to Jesus. When you look at him, there's things you need to consider. First, look at his person. Who is Jesus? Well, according to the text, it says Jesus is the founder of our faith. Revealing that Jesus is the man at the front of the line, forging the way for others to follow. He founded our faith by successfully running his own race. What is more, he is the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that brings faith to its proper conclusion. He perfected faith by humbling himself unto death on an old rugged cross. We look to Jesus because his journey of faith is the blueprint for faith, beginning with humbly, with humbling ourselves to serve God and ending with dying to ourselves to live for God. But don't just look at his person. 
Look at his passion. It says, look to Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. This highlights Jesus's endurance in light of the cross. Jesus suffered and was shamed at a far greater depth than any believer then and now ever would. And friends, I caution you, please don't sanitize your view of Calvary. Everything about that cross and crucifixion was painful and shameful. He was beaten by men he came to save. He was suspended in the air between a hollowed heaven and a wicked world under the beating, under the beating Mediterranean sun to rot and die thirsty when he was living water. He was suffocating when he was the breath of life. On the cross, heaven's best braved man's worst, and he did it all for you, 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 and he did it for me. Jesus persevered because the prize of joy at the end was worth the pain of the cross in the middle. This reveals that Jesus did not go through what he went through for no reason. God had something waiting for him, and God has something waiting for you. But you got to keep on going. And although the call to take up your cross is tough, the reward for fulfilling God's will is matchless in every way. Look at his person. Look at his passion. But finally, look at his position. It says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This speaks of Jesus's finished work. In Hebrews 1 and 3, it says that after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Get it? Because he ran down here, he got a seat up there but it's a seat of honor. But, 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 but what's better than the fact that he is seated is the knowledge of where he's seated. He's seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And you know what? He's interceding for you. Jesus persevered because the prize at the end was worth the pain in the middle. He is seated in a place of authority, and from that seat, he reigns, rules, and supersedes forever. So if you want to run well, do not fix your eyes on those around you, because they will disappoint you. If you want to run well, do not fix your eyes on yourself because your own shortcomings will defeat you. But you ought to fix your eyes on Jesus, for only he can direct you. If you follow Jesus's blueprint, we can endure present suffering with future joy in mind, knowing that if we never get an award down here, there's a reward waiting for us up there. And we can do the will of the Father faithfully. Again, if we follow Jesus' blueprint, 
We can faithfully do the will of the Father in spite of all of earth's cruelty and rejection. Friends, Jesus is our ultimate example. So please stare at him. I got to leave you now, but I just want to go on record saying what my grandma and my granddaddy used to sing. They used to say, I don't feel no ways tired. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy, but I don't believe that he's brought me this far to leave me. So I'm going to keep on running, and I, I hope that you will too. We're going to keep on running till we cross the finish line, till we see those pearly gates, till we receive our just reward, till we walk the streets of gold, and until we see Jesus and behold him face to face, this is my prayer. Lord, I'm running, trying to make a hundred. Ninety-nine and a half won't do. Please bow with me in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fresh reminder to hold on and to run on. We thank you that in Jesus we have the ultimate example of how to run our race of faith. God, I don't know who this message was for, but you do. There's a lot that's going on in our land. There's a lot that is affecting a lot of people. Some people are getting weary in their faith, God. Some are considering the easy way out. There may be somebody who has a business deal sitting in front of them right now. There may be somebody who's considered filing for unemployment who don't need it, God. There may be somebody here who's trying to find an easy way to happiness. But God, I pray that their conviction to serve you would inform their decision to deny you. God, please be with them. Encourage them. Give them the, the, give them the endurance that they need to run well and to run far for their good and for your glory. It's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Thank God. Amen.